It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with certified financial planners Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. My name is Mike Bernard. I am the host and also one of the certified financial planners on the show. With me in the KFG studios, like always, CFP Josh Gregory, but joining us today, CFP and CPA, the dual package, Ryan Fair. (laughs) Wow. Ryan, we're glad you're here. Hey, people often wonder whether they're better off filing their taxes as married filing jointly or separately. And we're going to put that debate to rest today and discuss some other uh, tax planning considerations on today's episode. Well, I didn't, I didn't want to call you the dual threat, which I think is more common phrase, yeah. but you, you don't want to, when you're talking about CPA and taxes and threats, yeah, you don't want to mix those. That's a good point. Oh, bring it on. Hey, <laughs> if you have a question, we've got some questions from fans of the show. Often those come on the YouTube channel, but if you have any questions, reach out to us. You can text us your questions, 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. Online, wisemoneyshow.com. Submit a question right there on the right. And then, yeah, most most of the questions come on the YouTube channel or anywhere on social media. So you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. Just search Wise Money Show and follow us there and submit questions there as well. All right, Ryan, welcome back. We've got a lot to hit. And I tell you, it's going to be a busy fall when it comes to taxes. Man, you bet. Lots of changes. Mm -hmm. I feel like we just got this on repeat because last fall, lots of changes. Fall before that, lots of changes. Like, my goodness, you've been busy. Yeah. You look old. I I am. I am. Aging. So, hey, all right. But we're going to start with an oldie but a goodie. And that is, if you're married, is it are you better off doing married finally jointly or there are times when you're better off doing married filing separately. What do we get this question? A dozen times a year? Probably. Oh, at least, yeah. So so let's put the debate to rest. Which one's better? Let's talk about that as an issue. Okay. Great. Yeah, let's do it. If we if we didn't have to make a whole radio show out of this, I I would just start and say file jointly. But there are a few <laughs> examples where So you're gonna where, stretch the conversation. Yeah, I'm gonna a stretch bit. this all out. So I'm sorry if I just killed the whole show. No, you didn't. No, I mean but plain and simple though, I think that is the case. If if you're if if you're wondering I mean, 99% of the time, you should yeah. file jointly. Yeah. 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 And yet the question comes up all the time because everyone wonders, okay, am I in that 1%? Do I have yeah. a scenario that right. maybe would justify it here? Yep. And um, I, I know we often turn to you and your team, Ryan, to look at the actual tax ramifications and quantify this for people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's really the best time to do it is when we're doing the tax return, we can, um, with a little bit of extra work, we can actually run reports or scenarios that allows us to see exactly what a married filing separate tax return would look like and compare that to the married filing joint return. And we can tell you exactly how many dollars it's either costing you or saving you. So it's a pretty cool you know, ability that we have. Um, that's why we pay so much for our tax software. Yeah, is, sure. Uh, different bells and whistles that we have the ability to do and give clients good advice, uh, you yeah. know, on the fly. So so for most people, 99%, yeah. that is probably accurate, yeah. 99%. It's if you're married, um, you should file jointly. Yep. But what are some of the circumstances where filing separately might be appealing or be- beneficial? 
Yeah, I mean, really, there's there's a couple of situations. Really, the most common one that we see that actually does make sense is if one of the taxpayers or both have some certain agreement in place with their student loans, yeah. which sounds crazy, but the, some employers have special deals, uh, whether that's teachers or doctors, I've seen where they have certain uh, packages set up where they can have part of their student loan forgiveness uh, forgiven if you know they meet certain criteria, and yep. one of those criteria usually ends up being filing separately, um, or they receive um, a, a lower some other tax break due to filing separately because of their student loans, mm-hmm. lower interest rates maybe be, because they're considered more lower income. T- typically, it's lower payment, right. and if you right. know if you know there is ah this is this is touching a nerve. Yeah. If you know there's a you know, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I've just got to travel this path. And then, but once I reach this certain milestone, it's all going to be forgiven. Uh-huh. Well, then you want to pay as little as possible along the way. Right. And the way to structure it to pay as little as possible oftentimes is to file separately so you, you're not showing a ton of income. Right. It, it's in a circumstance where maybe your your spouse's income would pile too much onto your tax return and then disqualify you from some of those uh, student loan forgiveness goodies that could right. be out there. That's risky, though. I, yeah. I mean, oh, they yeah. could change this deal tomorrow. Now, if they're going to change it tomorrow, they're probably going to add more forgiveness, which <laughs> begs the question, should anyone really be paying using their own money for college? Uh, that's a topic for a whole different show. But, um, but yeah, th- those are typically the circumstances. Because when you file separately, there's a lot of things that no longer count as, as options. Right. And so, so what are some of those examples? Yeah, so if you, if you do decide to file separately, and again, we're talking married filing separately, so this is different than you know, just saying single or, or head of household. This is specifically for a married person that's choosing to file separately. Um, you know, the, the first thing that gets reduced is the standard deduction. So married filing jointly, your standard deductions uh, for 2020 is going to be $24,800. That gets cut in half for the deduction if you choose to file separately. Same thing with all of the tax brackets. So if you were in the 12% bracket based on your combined income, you may jump a tax bracket if you decide to marry, uh, file separately. Um, capital loss carry forwards could come into play. So normally, if you have capital losses, you're allowed to deduct $3,000 per year. That's if you're single or married. If you do married filing separately, that goes down to $1,500. The other... So those are just deductions that we're talking about. There's a lot of impacts that are uh, credits also that that are even a bigger uh, difference. The first one that I have seen affect people is all related to the education yeah, credits. College yeah. credits and things. Yeah. Pretty much everything related to higher education credits and deductions goes away. Uh-huh. So no more lifetime learning credit, no more... Um, American Opportunity Tax Credit, no more student loan interest deduction. Uh, and and these are really lucrative deals huge. that are on a tax return. So yeah. if you're hearing that and you have kids in the later years of high school or going into college and, and you want, maybe you've been in the pattern of filing separately, um, it, it could cost you dearly. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're talking hundreds, thousands, maybe thousands of dollars each year on your tax return. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the American Opportunity tax credits twenty five hundred dollars, right. you know, in most cases. So that's that's gone if you decide to file separately. So, um, 
Yeah, other, I mean, not as common, but adoption credits, mm. those go away yeah. if, you're, if you're filing separately. And then on the other income spectrum, the lower income spectrum, if someone qualifies for the earned income credit in a normal year with their filing jointly or singly, that earned income credit is no longer allowed if you are married filing separately. This yeah. is another one of those that can really put a lot of money in someone's pockets oh, yeah. if they qualify for yep. it. If, if your income's too low by the government standards, then they, they actually can pay you some tax credit. Some people end up getting negative tax. Essentially, they right. paid no tax and still get a refund yeah. because of the earned income credit. And so to again, lose that all of right. a sudden by, by making a filing change. Yeah. And in that, many cases, that's, it's thousands of dollars, the yeah. earned income credit. Um, the other important thing that I, I wanted to stress earlier is make sure that you do have this conversation with your tax preparer. Um, I've got a number of instances where clients will come in or they'll you know drop off their tax document and they'll have a note written on the front that says, I want to file separately this year hmm. without knowing the true ramifications. Sure. Hmm. If we just take the client at their word and say, well, they said they wanted to file separately, let's do it, that you know, that's a huge deal based on all of these conversations we just had. Well, so there's some there's some follow-up questions that we're going to answer here, right. and that is, well, what if you were legally separated? Should you, do you have to file separately? What if you just got divorced? Can you still file jointly? And there's some other impacts relating to con contributing to Roth IRAs, those sorts of things. So a lot more to come here on The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. If you are legally separated, can you file a joint tax return or would you have to file married still but filing separately? Can you file a single return? We're going to talk about that right now, dispelling the myth of whether if you're married, should you file joint or separate? All right, this is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Joshua Gregory and special guest CPA, CFP, Ryan Fair. Every single episode of the Wise Money Show is on the YouTube channel, so check it out there. Go to YouTube, search the Wise Money Show, subscribe to the channel, and you can leave questions and comments there as well. We appreciate it. All right, so we're talking about the big debate of whether, if you're married, whether it's more, I mean, if you're single, you yeah, can't choose. No yeah, you yeah. can't choose married, right? So uh, there we go. Uh, show's over. Yep. You're welcome. Huh. Uh, no, if you're if you're married, is it better? Are you better off filing jointly or separately? And 99% of the time, just file jointly. File jointly. We've got the ability to quickly do the analysis and say, here's what it's saving you, or here's here basically here's what's beneficial. Let's get into the issue though of whether you're legally separated. I mean, oftentimes, if you get that note that you're talking about, Ryan, where someone gives you all their, drops off all their tax documents and there's a note in there that says we're filing separately, typically that's because of some, some you know, strife in the, in the marriage mm -hmm. sometimes. And so um, if someone's legally separated, do they have to file married filing separately? Well, yeah, if they have a separate maintenance agreement, they they do have to file separately. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the case of legal separation. If someone's just going through, you know, a rough patch and uh, one of the spouses got demoted from the couch to another location uh, and they are, you know, truly not living together, that but but they're still legally married, 
in that case, you do have the the ability to choose married filing jointly or married filing separately. That's mm-hmm. just you know an example of a rough patch um, in a relationship. It's just going to require that you collaborate together yep. at tax time, make yep. sure that you get the taxes filed on time and and accurately and everything. So you know sometimes there's the practical matter of well, we're not really talking right now, right. or we're we're separated to the point where you know a lot of communication is uh, is a struggle, and so sometimes it's hard to get a tax return done. Something even just as administrative as uh, as filing a return that can be difficult, and yep. that's often why sometimes people will file separately. But but the point is, and and uh, if you're just joining the show, maybe you you wouldn't have heard uh, us talk in the last segment about all the the costs, all of the downside to filing a separate return when you're married. Uh, There's a lot of goodies that you give up, and so you just need to know that. Um, You you have every financial incentive, many financial incentives, to to try to cooperate and get that return filed together. Yeah, and and on that note, I mean, we talk about the relationship and actually cooperating together to, to file a married filing separately tax return. You really do have to communicate in order to file separately. Um, the reason is if one taxpayer chooses to itemize deductions, both taxpayers have to itemize deductions. That's, that's right. You have to be on the same page with that stuff. Or, for example, if you're uh, both living or you both own a house together, but only one of you are living in it, or you, you know whoever gets to deduct that mortgage interest or property taxes mm-hmm. depends on you know, who paid it or however you guys decide to split it, you've got to communicate to, to work through that stuff. And same with kids, well, I was right? just going right. to ask about kids, yeah. Yeah, that's huge. So, yeah, they, they, the kids, you've got to – you can't both claim the same dependent child, and mm-hmm. you have to communicate and work that stuff out. So, so here's the point. Uh, get your taxes done as quickly as possible. <laughs> I'm just I'm just kidding, but we, it's, it's, it's not uncommon for us to go through a circumstance with – with a couple and yeah. uh, we file separately based on their request and claim a child and it's rejected because yep. that social security number of that child was already used on a tax return. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes it's the college student who's away yeah, from home right. who went and filed their return without uh, you know consulting with, with mom and dad yep. too. More that, often stuff can, than not. that stuff can happen a lot. You know, there's another scenario here as well where um, maybe it makes practical sense yeah. to file separately. And uh, the, the times when I see it most commonly is during um, uh, with a client who is um, in a second marriage. And maybe uh, they've been divorced before or they just have never really truly merged their finances together because they just agreed up front, hey, what's yours is yours, what's mine is mine, we're going to just keep everything separate and that includes filing uh, returns separately. And they may just not know up front exactly what that's costing them financially. Mm-hmm. It's not that there's animosity or that it's, it's um, you know, some sort of source of conflict in their marriage or anything. It's just, hey, that's how we agreed upon this when we were kind of yeah. bringing our two households together. Yeah. Another, another example that I, I can think of, um, when you file a joint return, um, whether you're happily married or unhappily married, you're both signing that return saying that everything on this return is true and correct. You're both on the hook for any tax liability on a joint tax return. Some cases I've had where a spouse will come in and say, hey, my, I guess we'll say husband, usually it's the, the husband, yeah. he's doing something 
that I don't agree with and he's not reporting it to the government, I don't want to I don't want to sign that return as a joint return. So let's prepare mine separately and he's on his own with any ramifications that come up as a result of what he's doing right now. So I mean that's that's an example that's that's real. I mean um I've had, you know, clients bring that in. So yeah. hmm. uh in the process of a divorce and yeah. obviously hopefully um you know there's reconciliation and everything, but uh, but in the process of divorce, those are lengthy processes. Yeah. And you're often not going through a legal separation and then a divorce. You're often going through the divorce and as that spills from one tax year to the next, you if you're not officially divorced as of 1231, yeah. you can file jointly yeah. or married filing separately. Technically, it means you're still married on 1231. Yeah, all the filing statuses are determined on that last day of the year. So could go either way. If you, you know, if you finalize your divorce on December 30th, you can file or you only can file that tax return as Single or head of, or head of, head of household right. if you have a qualifying child. Right. So you can't file a joint return if you were divorced on December 30th. And a lot of people are confused by that. And they're saying, well, wait, you know, 364 days of the year we were married. Nope. It's all based on that final day of the year. Same thing. I know that that's not, this isn't what the show is about, but the same thing when clients get married. Yep. A lot of times they'll come in and say, hey, we're going to file uh, separately this year. We got married, you know, back in September and... Uh, you know, we just want to keep things separate, and that's a good chance for us to educate them and figure out, you know, dig a little deeper and figure out why they truly want to file separately. So it's if, usually, if, yeah. if you think it's it'd be so romantic to get married on New Year's Day, just get married on New Year's Eve. Yep. Uh, we actually had a friend and colleague, Ben DeBach, one of our CFPs here, got married on New Year's Eve. He claims it was out of love, not for uh, tax the tax reasons. But we'll see. He <laughs> is he, differ. he is a financial planner. Hey, really quick, Ryan. You know, in a divorce, after a divorce, yeah. who claims what kids is pretty confusing. Can you clarify that within just a few seconds for us? Yeah. So it's all all comes down to the custodial parent. So anymore, the IRS has said, hey, we don't care what's written in the divorce decree. It's based on the custodial parent. Where did the kids sleep the most nights for the year? They can, the parents can agree to, the, the custodial parent can agree to release that dependent child every other year or whatever the agreement is, but they have to sign off on an IRS form that says, I'm the custodial parent, but I'm releasing this to the other parent for this year. What if you just have a friend that does a lot of sleepovers with your kid? Can you claim that kid? If it's <laughs> if it's over half the year and you're providing a bunch of support, with, let's talk. <laughs> My daughter's on a travel softball team, and the girls rarely spend the night in their own house. So anyway, <laughs> all right, we've got some other changes. You know, there's uh, changes with withholding. W-4 is gone. It's gone. That thing is blown up, and they've got a new W-4 out. And then, uh, and then what about the new 1040? Ooh. Spooky. We're going to talk about that and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Do you need to change the tax withholdings on your paycheck? Good luck. Yep. Good luck. This it is crazy. They changed the system, and actually, right now we've got two systems working simultaneously, and they both are terrible. We're going to try to help you make sense of it right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the Cave Tree Studios, Joshua Gregory, and special guest Ryan Fair. 
for submitting questions. We always try to work in some questions from fans of the show. We'd love to hear a question from you. You can leave those on the website, wisemoneyshow.com, or all over social media, wherever you're at, we're there too. So connect with the show, engage with the show that way. All right, so let's pivot. All right, uh, tax withholdings has been a just an absolutely disaster for the past several years. The W-4 form, you know it by, uh, hey, uh, married, finally, or married, single, this exemption, you know, married zero, married one, single two, whatever. Choosing all your allowances to figure out how much they're going to withhold for taxes out of your paycheck. Right? Yeah, that's W-4. Those it's, are the old days. It's all changed. So what's going on, Ryan? Yeah, so beginning with uh, 2020, part of the, is a response to the tax uh, changes that were made a couple years ago, the IRS decided to uh, kind of redo everything on the W-4. So in, in the IRS defense, they had good intentions um, because it's, it is difficult to uh, do withholding uh, estimates based on the new tax law and multiple jobs. or impossible? My I, goodness. I know. It, it, it used to be difficult. Now it's impossible. <laughs> so the new, the new form, they said, hey, we've got to account for all these big child tax credits that are in play now. They doubled them a couple of years ago from 1,000 to 2,000. Um, but then also multiple jobs when employees or couples had different multiple jobs that yeah. they were getting paychecks from. That really messes up the withholdings on a, a normal paycheck because they, the employer does the payroll, like the IRS says, and let's say they're making you know five thousand dollars here and five thousand dollars at another store. The the employer using the IRS tables in the old days would not withhold hardly any taxes on that paycheck because yeah. they would assume, okay, this person's only making five thousand bucks. They're you know, they don't need withholdings. Ryan and I have an example for several years, and we fixed it, but it, it honestly took a couple of years where an individual was a manager for a few different chain mm -hmm. fast food restaurants. And how he was paid, not our choice, but how he was paid was about a $25,000 salary from this store and a $25,000 salary from this other store and a $25,000 salary from this other store. So each store, though, even though they had one common owner, the payroll from each store through the IRS withholding system looked and said, well, this individual, he's married, he's making 25 grand a year. We don't need to withhold that much. Yeah. So yeah. each one barely had any withholdings, but he made $75,000. Right. And on top of his wife's income as well, yeah. you should have had a lot withheld. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's that was the problem that the IRS was trying to resolve. And if you can understand the new system, it may work. The problem is understanding it. It's so difficult and time-consuming to actually fill out a W-4 accurately these days um, that most people kind of give up and throw in the towel, you know, trying to trying to do it. So as we mentioned, all of the allowances that you were used to in the old days, those are gone. So you can't just go to your W-4 and say, "Yeah, I'm married and I've got two kids plus me and my wife, so I'm going to put, you know, four allowances on there and I should be good. Allowances are gone. Those are no longer a thing. Um, so instead, what the IRS is basically wanting you to do, they have a tool on their website. Um, it's called the uh, Tax Withholding Estimator. Mm -hmm. And basically, you're going through that application and doing a mock tax return or a tax projection of what you think your total income is going to be for the year. Um, if there are multiple employers involved that we talked about between 
obviously husband, wife, or if one spouse or the other is working multiple jobs, to go through this estimator, you have to have all of the current pay stubs from all of your jobs. You have to have a copy of last year's tax return with you because you're using some of that information. Now, if stuff is changing this year, if there's a reason you're changing your withholdings because, you know, you make more or change jobs or all of that stuff, you know, some of last year's information may not be relevant. So you need to come up with salary projections for the, the remainder of the year. What if you don't what if you're gonna itemize deductions and not take the standard deduction? Yeah. You've got to be able to project that and provide that information on this estimator tool on the IRS website to to do this. So I it, investment it, income, yeah. it's another or or pension income that may not have the right withholdings. You've got to take all of this into consideration and man, it's tough. If this is sounding like a headache that you don't even want to mess with. Yeah, that's part of the reason why before the show started, we were, we were just kind of chatting about yeah. this new calculator and and we referred to it almost as as complicated as building a tax projection, which yeah. is the work that we do with our clients for our clients every fall and sometimes more often than that even. Um, but it it's almost like building a tax return altogether. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, why they came up with this system, I don't know. It, it's like they... They were looking for accuracy and precision and gave up um, simplicity and yeah. speed. Absolutely. Right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So you, you, if you're listening to Ryan, for the couple of you that still are after that explanation, um, <laughs> the, you might say, well, wait a second. He's wrong. He's wrong. I look right here on my pay stub and it still says married with zero exemptions. Yeah. Yeah. They're using both systems at the same time. So thankfully, I, I think this would have been disastrous. Thankfully, at the beginning of the year, if you if you already had it in place, they didn't change what was happening. Right. You're still at if you haven't changed jobs or your employer didn't change payroll providers or they didn't force you to fill out one of these new W-4s you're still having single zero or whatever you were. But it's now, if you're like, okay, the kids are out of college, those tax credits are gone, let me make a change, you now are faced with the new system. You can't say, yeah, I've never seen this before, let me just make a change on the old system. You can't. If you switch jobs, you're gonna face this new system, you can't go with the old system. So they're running both in tandem, but the old system is getting phased out here. It just yeah. wasn't an abrupt stop. Yeah, it's just a matter of time. I mean, they yeah. the, the new one rolled out, you know, 1-1 one, one of 2020. And so as as time goes, they're, they're going to be switching everybody over. So here's the reality. Every year, and, and, and so every year we have two busy seasons at Corhorn Financial Group. We do several thousand tax returns a year, and that makes the spring a very busy season for tax prep and a lot of planning. But then the fall is very busy, too, because we're doing tax planning, which is one of the areas of the six areas of your financial life. What is tax planning? Well, let me take the, simplici- the, the, the simplicity and tell you it's avoiding surprises and capturing opportunities. How do you avoid surprises? You do a tax projection. And because, if, if you followed me this far, because this new withholding or this new W-4 withholding calculator is basically a tax projection, guys, you pretty much need to do it every year. You really do. Because from year to year, it, it tells you here, if your income's in this range, multiply the number of qualifying ch- children under 17 by this. Well, do your kids have a birthday every year? 
If they do, you probably need to fill one of these out every year. Figure out, you know, what other investment income are you going to have, dividends and capital gains and so on. Does that change every year? Yes, it does. Do Are you going to itemize your deductions? Yeah, well, mortgage interest. Does your mortgage interest, the, the total amount you pay in interest for your mortgage, does that change every year? Yes. So basically what this has done, if you want your withholdings to be anywhere close to accurate, you need a tax projection every year. And then working with your CFP and your CPA, they can help you fill out the new W-4 form. I, I know I just, I, I mean, anything you'd add Go to there, Mike quick. with any of those requests. <laughs> no, contact your certified financial planner. If you don't have a CFP that is working with your CPA, that's helping you with tax planning, then call us. Ab- absolutely. Our team is equipped to help you with this. All right. We've got questions from fans of the show, as well as a couple other changes we've got to hit. That and more coming up on The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Thanks for being here. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Josh Gregory and special guest CFP, CPA, Ryan Fair. We're talking about taxes, tax planning, everything you need to know about that. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast, whether you listen on on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're at. Just search The Wise Money Show, subscribe to it so every single episode gets sent right to your device wherever you consume podcasts from, and even rate the show as well. We appreciate that. All right, before we get into questions from fans of the show, we got a couple great tax questions here that I'm sure you're going to want to hear the answer to. Let's talk about one other change potentially that's, that's in the works, and that is yet another look of uh, at the 1040 another facelift right i mean it (laughs) it hasn't changed much for a long time it's just gotten longer and longer and longer and then wham trump tax laws we're gonna put this thing on a postcard oh yeah we can and so what 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 are the expected changes with the 1040 this year yeah so two years ago was when the irs really snapped that they tried really shrinking down the 1040 and they shrunk down the front page but then they added seven new schedules Um, So that kind of didn't work. So last year, they kind of reverted back closer to what it was, uh, a longer tax form instead of the half page. This year is kind of along that same same vein. Um, It's definitely not even close to a half page anymore. So I guess that's good. Uh, There's not as much blank white space. But but yeah, they did. The IRS did release their draft tax forms a few weeks ago. So uh, so yeah, not a half page. One of the things that I found really interesting, um, on 2020, right on the front page, there's a new question asking if you had anything to do with virtual currency. Why do you think that is? And, and that is, so have you, uh, and that, the specific question is, have you bought or sold, right? And That's it, what it was in 19, but okay. 20, it's more... It's more specific, okay. where it's it's not just have you used virtual currency to buy something. Now it's more more uh, vague, where it's basically do you have any involvement with virtual currency, buy, sell, trade, huh. whatever. So why is this? Well, if you go back and look at the stats, um, they the IRS has a huge uh, suspicion that nobody's reporting their virtual virtual currency <laughs> transactions. 
So um, virtually, no one is reporting virtually it. Virtually, <laughs> no one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if you go back a few years, um, it's you know obviously they've increased over the years as more people have obviously been using virtual currency. But back in the uh, days where it was more the underground market, you know. Right. Um, you know, they had like a few hundred people that were reporting it where there's, you know, thousands. And I'd, I'd love to see the stats. How many people check yes or no? And then if you check yes, is there another form that you have to fill out? Does it automatically create another schedule? I don't think so. So I think it's you I think it's an information gathering. Yeah, you put a target on your forehead. If, yeah. uh, You're now an, an audit right. uh, target there. Yeah. So ba- basically, so pretty soon, guys, this this question, this Q&A at the front, it's going to be, have you had anything to do with virtual currencies? Um, have you sold anything on eBay? Yep. Have you, uh, do you... Um, own a business that's really a hobby and you're just and you're deducting losses. Yep. I think they're going to be much more simple than that. They're just going to say, "Are you hiding anything from us?" <laughs> <laughs> Check yes or no. Actually, it's going to be pre-populated. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> oh my. So, anything else? Uh, b- any big changes? Well, that's I mean, that's the most notice- noticeable one that uh, caught my attention. I mean, a couple of other small things um, that that will help people. Um, this year they so basically, charitable contributions as you know, people that don't itemize deductions because they doubled the standard deduction a couple of years ago. You know, people were giving charitable contributions and really getting no tax benefit from it. This year, the IRS has started allowing a small, relatively small charitable deduction on the front page of your tax return. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's three hundred dollars per person or per for single return, uh, six hundred for a joint return. You can deduct up to that amount on the front page of your tax return as a charitable contribution. That's even if you don't itemize deductions. That's if you don't itemize. Right. If you do, it's not a, it, it goes on uh, Schedule A. Schedule assume, A. Yeah. So um, here's the thing, though. If, if you are listening to this and saying, oh, well, that's neat, and then it escapes your mind, and you start filling out your tax return in February, and you look and you're like, Oh yeah, I meant to do that. Let me go mm. donate some stuff to Goodwill. No, no, yeah. you've got to do it this calendar year. Right. So it's got to be to a five hundred one c three, and it's got to be this calendar year. And if you do, when you fill that out, I think this is one year only, right? It's, it's part yeah, of the CARES Act. Part of the CARES Act. So I would assume. So, have you read anything if it's cash contributions or non cash contributions? Oh, I haven't. Have you heard cash? I really I, haven't, but I suspect it's going to be cash. I would suspect the really? same thing. Really? Yep. Yeah, I think I haven't read that yet. But I that's think just the a... lobbyists at Goodwill and um, <laughs> Salvation the, the Army, Salvation yeah. Army, yeah, yeah. All right, we're actually going to be doing a, an upcoming show on all of the tax changes related to CARES Act because, yeah, the IRS has been tinkering with some things here, withholding schedules, that sort of stuff. However, the CARES Act just took everything you know about taxes and finance in particular and just threw it out the window came up with their own rules so we're going to break all of that down in an upcoming episode so make sure you tune in for that and then usually we have ryan join us a few more times throughout the the year talking about tax planning so um let's transition to to questions from fans of the show a couple tax questions here the first one is from nicholas he left it on the youtube channel oh a few weeks ago it's basically about unemployment now he was listening to I posted we posted several videos warning folks that are on unemployment or have had unemployment that listen it's going to be taxable so make sure you're aware of that now Nicholas's comment is hey I'm net after taxes I'm only getting 40 bucks 
And I'm saying that math doesn't add up, buddy. Mm-mm. So so you you need to work with your accountant and say, here's my actual stub, my printout from my state yeah. unemployment agency, unemployment office, calculating, you know, breaking it down. Yeah. But let's talk about the taxability. Uh, is is normal unemployment taxable? Is the extra $600 the Fed was through, is that taxable? Is the extra $300 that the Fed or states were doing, is that taxable? How, how's that all break down, Ryan? So yeah, the short answer is yes to all of that stuff. So unemployment in any year that you receive unemployment is normally taxable. This year, it's still taxable, even though there's a pandemic and even though there's the CARES Act. Um, so all of that unemployment, whether it's your regular state unemployment or if it's the special extra $600 CARES Act bonus or the 300 CARES Act bonus, that is all still taxable as ordinary income. You mean the government's going to give you $600 a week and then want some of it back? Yes. <laughs> Crazy. Yep, I know. Okay. So, so yeah, it's all going to be taxable. Um and hopefully when you signed up for unemployment, you at least had them do some withholdings. I Most, think if you elect to withhold, they only withhold 10%. 10%, yeah. I say it's it's not a lot, but it's a little bit kind of a down payment for most people that they at least are withholding some. If if you didn't do any withholding, it, you know, some of these people, some people are getting pretty substantial amounts of unemployment throughout, you know, the annual well, wouldn't you say that the people that that those of you listening or watching that have a lot of unemployment have really had a very difficult financial year? And to to have a lot of unemployment and a difficult year to then be clobbered with a right. tax surprise yeah. would almost seem unfair. Yeah. And yet that's the reality. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times we'll see it where, you know, one spouse is off where the other one's still has a great job and still doing fine. So, you know, they may be in a, you know, 22, 24% tax bracket, you know, and then if the other spouse is on unemployment and only having 10% withheld, even that extra 15% Oh, you know, yeah. tax, yeah. It, it's right. a blind side. Especially when you throw in this, these extra perks, the extra right. 600 per week. Yeah. Um, all right. So what about states? Now, um, hopefully you live in a state where they uh, there is no state tax and yeah. sorry about your property taxes. Um, <laughs> but in states like Indiana and Michigan, have the states come out and said what they're going to do? Because sometimes they flip flop. Yeah, I, they they haven't said a whole lot about it yet, but. In a normal situation, it is taxable, it is, and so yeah. I'm still counting on it being taxable. In Indiana, they used to just, yeah, it's taxable, <clears throat> and you couldn't even withhold for the state. Right. Now I think you can. You can, and so they do withhold for state, um, and I think I see county withholdings on, on okay. the uh, unemployment also. So. Uh, well, that's one of the things I used to gripe about. Yeah. It's coming from the state. They are going to tax it, and they won't even let you withhold against it, so... All right. Sound like an old man, Mike. I know. Well, I am. All right. So here's another great question. Uh, this one's actually local. Carmen from Niles, 59 years old. At what point can I gift money to my grandkids? Is there a tax advantage or disadvantage? So you can, anyone can gift money to their grandkids anytime. Um, so grandma, if you're listening. Yeah. I'm still <laughs> it's not favorite. too late. Yep, it's not too late. Um, no, it, it, you can you can gift anytime. The annual contribution or annual gift tax limits up to 15,000 per year per person. And if you do that or under, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to report it. The recipient doesn't have to report it and it's, you know, it's not it's not a deal. I mean, it's a big not a big deal. It's a piece yeah. of cake. 
Um, if you give over that, you can. It, it gets a little bit more uh, dicey, but it's still not taxable to you or to the giver or the recipient. Um, you just have to file a annual reporting gift tax return. The giver. Correct. Needs to just tell the IRS about it. Yep. And right. so, how do you tell the IRS? Do you write it on a sticky note and <laughs> you know send it off? No, you file a tax return. That's yep. that's how you do all your love letters to the to the IRS. Yep. Yeah. And we in this scenario, Carmen lives in Niles, just across the state line into Michigan. We don't know what state these grandkids right. potentially live in, but it's not uncommon for us to see uh, grandkids in Indiana, you know, grandparents in some other state, and um, you know, a way to start leveraging some tax benefits here are to actually make the gift to the parents in the form of opening up maybe a 529 plan mm-hmm. for, for those grandkids. 529 plans, as you may recognize, those are college savings vehicles. It's an account that you can purchase mutual funds in and grow a pool of money for, for the eventuality of, of college expenses. And um, the, the advantage, though, that the tax savings comes in the form of a state tax credit in Indiana. Mm-hmm. This is one of the unique things about Indiana's tax laws that we, we just love. Um, for, for the first 5000 that you throw into one of these accounts, you save 20% of it in the form of a tax credit. Or in this case, the scenario I'm talking about, your children would save it on their tax return as they open up the account essentially for their, their kids. So... You know, obviously, that the, the, the um, giving money to grandkids. There's always the can you? Yes. Should you? Depends on mm-hmm. the circumstances. There's yeah. there's great ways to give money to grandkids, and then there's some that could maybe have unintended consequences. To to wrap this up on the giving issue, fifteen thousand anyone can give anyone else. Um, a year not need to report it and there's gift splitting right so if Correct. a married couple gives one person then it's 15 and 15 that's also that's called 30,000 and if the people the person you're giving it to is married now that's double 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 that's yep. 60 so anyway Ryan thanks for being on that's Thank all the bet. time we have for today on behalf of Josh and Ryan myself have a great weekend we'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.